right, I'm going to call to order the 2019 Community Police Review Board Annual Forum. Galpin? Present. King is present. McDaniel? Present. Selmer? Present. Townsend? Present. <clears throat> On the back table is uh, some handouts for the Community Police Review Board information. Um, on what we do, um, we review um, complaints about uh, allegations on police misconduct. We review the policies, procedures, and practices um, for the police department. Um, the complaint review process and the community review board timelines are all within this paperwork in the back. Also in the back we have uh, the calendar year from 2015 of the uh, complaints that were filed in that year and the outcomes of those uh, complaints. Um, item, uh, this is a public forum and it's being recorded for rebroadcast on Channel City 4. Um, item three, we received no outside correspondence for this meeting. Item four, I'd like to introduce Police Chief Matherly for the uh, State of the Police Department. Thank you. Are these, are these working? They're live, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Jody Matherly. I'm going to stay and I think this will still capture me. Uh, I've been here as police chief for two and a half years, um, 36 years overall in law enforcement. So a little history for me, uh, five years in Altoona Police, before that nine years for the Grinnell Police Department, and 20 years in Flint, Michigan is where I uh, started police work. So my friends say I can't hold down a job. Um, I've, I've truly come to new places and, and found places that are better fit for me, and Iowa City is certainly one of those. Uh, what I found most intriguing about this city is its acceptance and, and, and inclusivity of, of all persons, and that makes a police department's job pretty easy because we know where the city council, the community, um, and, and where you know everybody that's, that's here, be it university folks that are only here for four years, moving on to other professions and new lives, um, that, that we all belong, belong here together. So policing in and of itself, law enforcement, and our job has really had to evolve from a few years ago, as short as 10, 15 years ago, we were more into the warrior mentality and leaving that behind and getting into a protection uh, and a guardianship mentality. Um, we've been pretty good at that here and for a couple of reasons. We are a nationally accredited uh, law enforcement agency. It's called CALEA. And there's only about a dozen CALEA agencies in, in the state um, and there's a couple hundred nationwide. But we operate to the gold standard. So our policies, our procedures, and then the proofs that we're actually following those policies and procedures are monitored at all times and on a yearly basis we have to do what's what's called some reviews at the national level. And then every four years, they, they really hand it to us and make sure that everything's spot on. 
and we operate to that level without any problems at all. So we're being watched and we're grading ourselves as much as anybody else is, and, and that allows us to do a much better job. Let me talk a little bit about 2018, because we stood here last year, and the crowd was about the same size. And I will tell you, Orville Townsend mentioned it to me last year. He said, you know, these crowds have gotten smaller because things are pretty good right now. Um, that doesn't mean they're perfect. We have a lot to do. But by and large, we're trying to, to be transparent with the community, trying to do the right thing, and, and being as hard as in ourselves as, as anybody because we correct things before they become big problems. And I think that's an important thing to look at. 2018, we did a couple of, of really good things. We, um, we received a couple grants, and they were worth $750,000 total. So these are these were big grants. But one of them was from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and it was a grant to allow us, and this is a two-year grant, to um, get into being a better agency. We were one of six demonstration sites nationwide that got this grant, only one of six, um, for sexual assault and gender bias in investigations in sexual assault. So we also took a trauma-informed approach. So we got to understand better, I say we are investigators, our officers, when we're investigating a, a sexual assault, uh, the effect that trauma can have on a victim and how we have to, to understand that concept and understand what that victim's going through and take a victim-based approach to these investigations. That is so important, because it's really easy for someone to come in and, and try to report a crime, but when you've gone through that and when you're living um, as a victim, uh, we need to understand the effects that can have on, on your mental health, your physical health, uh, those around you, your family, friends, everything. So this grant has allowed us to be even better experts in that area, and we've spent a lot of time, a lot of money, but it was grant money, sending almost all our officers through training, but many of them through extensive training, and many of them out of state. They've been to Dallas, San Diego, Orlando, uh, Virginia, <laughs> we've all over the nation, getting the best training that there is in this line of work. So that's been really good. Our second one, and maybe you've heard this term, is the Data-Driven Justice Initiative. So that was a, another grant. David Schwint, who a lot of you know is officer friendly, he was our downtown officer for many years, um, is the coordinator for the DDJ grant that we received. And his job is to look at low-level offenders that are using not just police services, but also um, social services, emergency services, hospitals, and see if we can't identify ways to help them so they're not still using those systems and never getting out of that, that rotation. And that's what we found through the research is, you know, there's individuals that are using these systems, but nobody's really doing something preventive to get them out of that cycle. And so our job is to monitor that and find out what can we do differently. And so we've taken a few steps, and, and that, that grant continues through December of this year. Uh, but one of them is CIT training, um, crisis intervention training. So it teaches our officers to do a better job at getting to a crisis situation and identifying the root of the problem and not just treating the symptom itself. So it's really easy, and believe me, after 36 years, this is all I was trained to do. I have a, a gun, I have some mace, I have a baton, and I get to a situation, I, next call's pending, so I gotta get going here. I basically find out what happened, I handcuff you, I take you to jail. That was it. We didn't look at mental health, we didn't look at substance abuse, we didn't look at what's going on in that person's life. We weren't trained to do that. And there wasn't dad out there to help us be trained to do that, not, not in the police world. So we've slowed things down and said, what can we do up front? What can we do on the scene 
I'm talking 3 a.m. when there's not a lot of places open to help us, and triage us a little better, slow things down, <coughs> and identify how we can help that person in distress instead of just handcuffing them and taking them to jail. The idea behind this is twofold. Quit filling the jails with people that don't need to be there, but also get them the help they need so there's not that recidivism, so they're, they're not continuing to, to get themselves into problems. We've been pretty successful at that. I'll go through some numbers here in just a minute and talk about how successful. And here's the cool part. As we looked at that grant and we continue to monitor this, we started looking at the jail populations. So we said if the jail population goes down, what happens to the crime rate? What we're finding is the crime rate's staying down too. So having less people in jail has not had this, this big impact on crime. As a matter of fact, the crime level here has stayed very low. So we're a safe community, we're putting less people in jail, and we're having success with that. So we're seeing some really good things. This grant is invaluable. We plan on continuing some type of DDJ, data-driven justice, even when the grant ends, and I'm working on that as we speak to see how we can fit that into our plan, but I think it's so important to continue. It's not just Iowa City. This is with Johnson County uh, as well as some of the other agencies too and the social service agencies, the hospitals, everybody. So there's, there's big players involved in this whole thing. We happen to have got the grant along with some of the money towards Johnson County um, Jail Diversion Program, and we're, we're coordinating that together. But um, big piece of the, the puzzle, seeing some success with it. And that, that's made 2018 going into 19 really successful for us. We're very pleased with that. One of the other things we did was uh, we added an officer to the evening shift for downtown. I talked about Schwint being officer friendly. He was our downtown officer for several years. And what we found is downtown needed an evening officer. You knew the, they started, the downtown district started the nighttime mayor program. And we wanted a counterpart for that to say, what can we do to reach out to the businesses, to the bars, to, to the um, restaurants, everybody down here, and have a little more strategic concept of how to make things safe, and how to make people feel comfortable instead of just being reactive on that night shift. Um, and that's worked very well. We're starting to do classes for the businesses down here, teach them how to deal with, with intoxicated people. We've partnered with the university um, with the SHOUT program that gives, the, gives us an opportunity to get those that maybe had a little bit too much to drink before they get themselves in trouble, before they get themselves put in a hospital, to get them to a safe place. Um, but not just intoxicated people. Chief Beckner over at the university said it best. He said, if I can narrow the amount of time that someone can be a victim, then there's less crime. And so when we see a female walking by themselves that maybe got separated from their group and it's late, let's stop, hey, do you need a ride? And we get shout over there, who's university students themselves, to give them a ride to a safe place. No money, don't have to ask questions. If you need a ride, we'll get you a safe ride and get you to where you need to go instead of walking home by yourself. Narrow that, that window of victim, <coughs> being a victim, and you increase your, your, your success rate, if you will, to prevent crime. So that's been very good. Uh, we have also um, changed our, our mission statement. So one of, the, one of the things every police department has is, well, what do we stand for? Who are we? And, and what's important to us? So we, we had a pretty lengthy mission statement. It was a paragraph, and I never really got to know the thing too well because it wasn't who we were. It might have been who we were years ago, but it wasn't who we were today. So we took the time this year to reshape our mission statement, and this came directly out of that IACP grant, the, the um, uh, gender bias investigation grant that I talked about. 
So here's our new mission statement. I wanted to have you folks here. We just changed this uh, last month. I even put, I put signs all over the station. I even have a little bit of this on, on the cars, if you see our police cars now. But here's what it says. To work in partnership with the community, enhance trust, protect with courage and compassion, and empower victims of crime through excellence in service. And I think that's a very powerful statement, that, especially the empower victims of crime. We want to empower them, um, but with the excellence in service. So when you see our police cars, now look on the right front fender, well actually both front fenders, and we have excellence in service written on every single police car. And I tell my officers, and, and there's signs all over the station, when you walk out of the watch meetings, read our mission statement. When you get into your car, read that excellence in service. When you're out there doing your job and you think, that probably didn't go as well as it could have. Look at the fender and remember excellence and service. That's who we are. That's the standard you should uphold. That's your mission every day is excellence and service. So I think it's very important for them to remember that. It was so important to me I put decals in the cars just so they'll never forget it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're very, uh, very pleased with that. One of the last things we did this year was taking better care of our officers. Suicide rates for police officers are very high right now. Um, and it's not getting any better. So we had to take a step back and say, we wanna make sure that our officers are healthy, that they have their, their heads on straight, and that things are going well for them so they can come help you. If things aren't good in our lives, it's hard for us to help others. So we have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves first and foremost. It's kinda of like, don't run too fast to an emergency call, because if you go too fast, you're gonna get what? In an accident. And if you get in an accident, you've done nobody any good because you're not gonna get there. So slow things down, get there safely. Same with their psyche, same with their mental health, same with the officers, day-to-day -day living. They have to take care of themselves so they can suit up every day and come serve the community. So we, we've done several things. We uh, started a peer-to-peer -peer program, and I actually got this from Des Moines is where I first saw it. But these are specially trained officers that can recognize problems amongst the groups that they're working with, their own people, their own peers, their own, their own officers and identify things that maybe things aren't going too good and maybe they could use my help right now. So they're trained to, to pull that officer aside and say, is there anything we can do for you? They have the captain's ears, the chief's ears, uh, our, our uh, EAP program, employee assistance program's ears. We have a, a cadre of police chaplains uh, that, that can help out. Um, and if they need anything, be it them, their family, financial woes, anything at all, then we're in a position to reach out and, and to help them before things go bad in their lives. So the peer-to-peer -peer program has been very successful for us. Um, and let me finish up, I don't want to talk all night here, but let me talk a little bit about, about our police department itself. We have 86 patrol officers, 86 sworn officers with our agency. Now to put that in perspective, the Sheriff's Office has about 70 sworn deputies. The University of Iowa has about 40 sworn police officers. Coralville has about 30 sworn police officers, and then North Liberty has about 27 or so sworn police officers. So we're the largest agency, uh, obviously, in the county with 86. Um, we try to hire folks that match our community. We want to be a cross-section of the community. So we're at about 2% Asian Pacific Islanders. We're about just over 6% uh, black officers, and we have uh, one Hispanic officer right now uh, and he just started in the academy. So, and our average age is 38. So we don't have a lot of young officers, but we don't have a lot of old officers, about 38. 
in, in the world of police departments, that's pretty old. Um, you know, we can retire after 22 years, age 55, and, and so, uh, you know, some officers tend to get out, but ours tend to stick around. They like working here, they enjoy the job itself, and um, so longevity here is really good. Um, we hover at about 70,000 calls for service every year, and last year was no different in 2018, 70,130 compared to 70,550, so we continue to, to stick right around there. But some more interesting things that, that uh, occurred in 18. I talked about our ability to, to identify things uh, out in the field and make less arrests. So that crisis intervention training that we take to, to, to do that, here's the results of that. So in the last seven years, in the last seven years, this year, 2018, was the lowest for arrests. It was the lowest for disorderly conduct charges, and it was the lowest for public intox. I'm a firm believer, because we got better at what we did, we were able to identify alternative solutions. One of the things that the city and the county have been very supportive on is the Access Center that, as you well know, is, um, is being built as we speak. The crisis stabilization unit at the U is, is up and running now. So we're able to identify better methods to take care of the problem and keep folks out of jail. And these numbers are showing that that trend is going down for those arrests, uh, and that, that's, that's a good thing. So we know that we're spending our money and our training wisely, and the officers are doing a great job. Uh, crime overall went up a very small amount. It was about 8% for all crime. That's not a huge amount when you're talking about 4,000 crimes per year. Um, but we saw an increase in aggravated assault, which is the most, more serious type of assault. Uh, we saw an increase in sexual assaults and in drug arrests. Um, I'm sorry, drug cases, not drug arrests, drug, drug investigations. But we saw a decrease in robbery, we saw a decrease in burglaries, we saw a decrease in weapons, uh, and we saw a decrease in simple assaults. So some of the more violent crimes uh, that you see day to day, we saw a decrease in those, and really that's, at the end of the day, what we're after is to reduce violent crime first and foremost. Uh, and we were successful last year doing that. Uh, juveniles. Everybody always asks me, how are the kids doing? What's, what do we got for juveniles going on? That's important. I mean, those are the ones that we try to reach out to the most and connect with because we have the biggest impact on them. When they grow up and, and there's, you know, that sense of maturity with them, that sense of responsibility, they're successful in life. We like to be part of that. Um, we have limited access, obviously. Um, but, but we put on a lot of programs, which is right down her alley in support services, and we'll talk about that in a minute, where we want to connect with those kids. So we spend a lot of time to, to connect with our youth, whether it's flying kites in the park or at National Night Out giving out backpacks or whatever, the, whatever it is we're doing, we're trying to connect with them all the time. Um, so calls for service last year for juveniles went up 3%. So it went from 573 and 17 to 595. So calls for service regarding juveniles went up 3%. It's not a big raise. But what we did find was we went down 12% on the, the amount that we referred to the court systems and arrested. So we know we have more contact with juveniles, we were arresting them less. Again, I think the officers are getting to know the parents, getting to know guardians, getting to know those adults that are connected to this child and able to reach out and, and take alternative action instead of just putting handcuffs on and, and putting them in the court system. Um, so we're pretty proud of that. And let me just hit a couple more things here. Uh, when it came to juveniles, we had, uh, these are for charges, actually charging them into the court system. Um, we had 
fewer arrests for Hispanic and for black children, uh, that is juveniles, those under 18 years of age in 2018. So for example, in 2017 for black youth, it was 141, it was 117 and 18. So we went down for Hispanics, it was 34 of those in 17. We went down to 15 and 18. So dramatic decrease in those, uh, which I think is very important uh, for everybody. So that's it. Let me uh, introduce uh, my captain here, and then we'll take questions or anything that, that the board de uh, decides here. So this is Captain Denise Brotherton. Um, I always told her I don't like to talk about this part, but she's our first female captain in Iowa City. And I, I don't like to, to really talk about that because she wasn't promoted because of that. She was promoted because she was absolutely the best one for the job. Now I'm going to go back a few years, and I did assessment centers um, for promotional exams. And she sat through a couple times in, in uh, promo promotional assessment centers that I did when I came here. And I wasn't the chief here yet. But I told her, I said, you know, you're always very sharp and, and you're going places. And I could just see that years ago. Well, here she is. So she's made captain now. Um, there's only two captains in our police department. There's one in charge of field operations, that's Bill Campbell. And then there's one in charge of support services. And I tell people support services kind of everything non-police related, but in our world here, it's also our, our community outreach folks. So it's very important for us. So Captain Denise Brotherton, and I, I'll let her stand and say just a few words so you can get to know her. You guys gonna be able to hear me? Okay, nice when it's a smaller room. So again, I'm Denise Brotherton. I've been with the department for about 24 years now, and I'm just from up the road in Cedar Rapids. I've been here as long as I was in Cedar Rapids, and I feel now this is probably more my hometown, the Iowa City community, and back in Cedar Rapids, I almost, when I go back there, I feel more like a visitor than I, than I used to. And that's great because I'm raising a family here, and um, I can't think of a better, a better place to live in and a better place to serve. Uh, I am in charge of support services now, and I think it's the fun part of the department because I have the positive things. I have animal services that I oversee, and that couldn't be a greater team of people with such an awesome mission down there. And I have the community outreach uh, division, which was always important to me when I worked on patrol, and it's nice to be able to guide that group. Uh, it's a great group of people. We have the two downtown liaison officers. Is, Chief Matherly uh, mentioned, and that is Rob Cash and Colin Fowler. And we also have our neighborhood response officer, Luke Erickson. And then in our, our um, crime prevention and community outreach officer is Ashton Hayes, who just does a phenomenal job. Along uh, with some other divisions I uh, under support services would be our evidence, our records, and also quartermaster, get the guys in the uniforms and looking good and professional. Uh, What's exciting right now for our community outreach section or division is when the weather gets nice, we get the festivals and they're busy all year round, but you know, you just have a lot more going on in the summer. We can get them out there, interact with the public uh, besides just some of the presentations they do. And we also try to get the patrol officers involved in those too, so as much as they can stop by. So it gives everyone a chance to, to see people on a level that it's just not a response to a call or something bad happening. Uh, another thing that our community outreach division has done, and Ashton did an awesome job on this, was is we're trying to connect a little bit more with um, some more immigrant communities. And, uh, but what we found is, you know, the 
the barriers because of language and not understanding how our system works or being concerned about contacting us because of maybe their status. And we want to help everybody. We want everyone to call us if they need us and to understand is it a, what, what's an emergency? When should I call 911? Or when do I just call the police if I have a question or uh, I just have like a neighborhood situation or need some assistance? So what we have our informational flyer, uh, flyers here, we got this idea from our library and pretty much um, went with the same language as they do. And this is an evolving um, program. So we hope to add to it. We hope to get feedback from community members on what information is helpful that we have things translated properly. And so this is our first batch out. I'll have these available for people afterwards. But I, of course, can't read the languages, so I have to put sticky notes on them so I know. But we have Chinese, Swahili, French, Arabic, and Spanish. So it's a start. We certainly have much more languages in our community. Uh, but you know, hopefully these, these, will, these will start and they'll grow, and we can get that information out there. So, and then again, I'll have these available for people to look at afterwards. Language line. Oh, and on this also has, it has information about language line. So obviously we would love to have officers who can speak all these languages and that's our goal too. But in here it also explains about language, language line. So we can always communicate and that goes through all languages, just not the ones we have here. So we can always communicate with our victims. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to open the uh, forum up to public discussion. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please come up, uh, sign in. Uh, the microphone there is live. State your name for the public record and for recording, and please try to keep it to within five minutes. So if anybody wants to come up. I, I wanted first to express my appreciation to Chief Matherly <clears throat> and for his work with the department because I think having lived here for such a long time and lived through prior uh, years when we had lots more problems, um, it's, it's a real pleasure to have it be as nice as it is now. So thank you very much for that. The other thing that I'm wondering about, <clears throat> it's a practical question, Officer Frank, I believe, was the one who hosted the Deer Forum the management, and the city did its best after listening to that forum to come up with what they thought was a workable plan to deal with the difficulty. Uh, but as you probably know, the uh, Natural Resources Commission turned us down twice, and uh, we now are kind of stuck with it for at least another year without having anything done at all. And um, the other night uh, in the city council meeting, it was decided that another approach would be made to the Natural Resources Commission to try to work out some sort of a modus vivendi here. But in the meantime, <clears throat> um, 
there are getting to be more and more deer, and this is the season when the pregnant females will produce fawns. And so the population of deer is likely to go up by another third. And um, I, for the first time since I've lived in my address there and gardened there, have got deer coming through my yard every single night. And I think that it's only a matter of time when you have so many uh, that there are going to be more accidents with vehicles, there's going to be more um, starving and probably sick deer because of the population pressure and the lack of food. So I guess my question is, if you find a deer that's in distress or one where it's been hit by, uh, I guess there are hunting, there are going to be bow hunting going on, um, and you've got a, di a dying or obviously diseased deer, who, who do we call? Do we call the animal shelter? Do we call the police? Do we call 911? What do we do? A friend of mine was just talking about it the other night. Um, there was a great big buck, he said, that um, was obviously in physical distress wandering down the creek, and he didn't know what to do. Yeah, patrol will respond. Can you hear me okay? There. Yes. Patrol will respond to handle those situations, and we've done that through the years, and they're trained to to deal with those and the injured animals. So you can just call the, the main number for the Joint Emergency Communication Center, uh, which is 356-6800. Uh, would call 911 in a situation like if you were involved in a crash and people were hurt with the deer. Otherwise, if you've seen an injured deer in your yard, along the road, uh, you can just call that number and they'll send out uh, usually a patrol officer to deal with that. The animal's already deceased, then we send out animal services also. I don't have enough, infer enough experience myself dealing with deer. I've read up uh, on what it's like uh, to try to do that and suggestions for what to do. And one of them is, is that although you know deer can jump quite high fences, they don't usually do it unless they have got a room, room to land. Um, now, if you have stakes for gardens, for instance, where if they try to jump, they get impaled on a stake in your garden, that could create quite a situation where I think they'd almost have to be dispatched, you know. Sometimes that does have to happen, yeah, when they're when they're injured. Like yes. that. And, and the police department would do that or Yes, we'll take okay. care of that. All right. Um, well again, thank you very much, you know, and when um, is it gonna be on the uh, bulletins that the city sends out, uh, when what time this forum with your presentation is going to be aired on a public, uh, the public channel? And certainly, yeah. It, you, are you signed up to receive uh, the notifications from the city, the public yes. notifications? Mm -hmm. You'll, you should receive it on there also. Okay, because I think um, there are a lot of people who are probably interested that didn't come. It's hard to come yeah. in the evenings and would like to know when it's gonna be broadcast. There certainly are, yes. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I had a question for the chief. Yeah. Hmm? I had a question for the chief. Take it um, my question is for uh, 
Pardon me? Can you state your name? And oh, my name is Anne Marie Drop, and I live in Iowa City. Um, my question is for uh, Chief Matherly, and I'm wondering, this is concerning the DDJ grant. Um, what's the timeline for that grant? When did you get it, and when will it expire? And then in, my second question is, how many officers have been trained with that grant money um, up to this point? Sure. So we, we received that grant just into the late 2017, early 2018. It goes through December of 2019. Um, so it was just under a two-year grant. Originally, it was planned as a three-year grant. And because of government red tape at the federal level, <laughs> it just took time. And so it ended up being a two-year. Um, the, the CIT training itself that we're going through, every police officer in this county has gone through that. Um, now, the, even the new ones that we're hiring are getting that 40 hours in the academy, so they're still seeing the, the crisis intervention training in the academy. That grant, the, the, the biggest part of it was to fund a full-time position to actually coordinate all of this and to have the ability to, to take the data in and, and crunch the numbers and make it meaningful coming out stuff that, you know, that we could actually recognize as, as helping us. And so it funds that position, which is now David Schwint. So that was the other piece of it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You have a question? Yeah. Uh, I had a question for Chief. Uh, Chief, over the years, the football season's always been problematic in terms of fans, rowdiness and stuff. And we used to just have a phenomenal amount of arrests. Uh, have we improved in that area in terms of number of arrests during football season? That's a good question. So. Last year started to, to get a little laundry on us. We had um, some, it was in the paper, so I'm, I'm speaking what's already public, but some fraternities that kind of cranked it up a notch for some of the tailgates. We were able to get a handle on that after a while and, and get it back under control. Each game, uh, we generally make no more than two or three arrests at, at the, the tailgating and game itself. Um, if it's Iowa State or something that's a little bigger and there's a little more energy involved, sometimes it, the arrests are as high as seven. But by and large, we don't have a whole lot of arrests at those. You know, we, we're, we, we give a little bit of latitude. We want folks to have fun. We only ask that you be safe and you don't, you know, hurt anybody else and, and just, just lay low and have fun and enjoy yourself. Uh, the director over at the university and I have the exact same philosophy in that area. If you want our attention, you'll get it, but, but otherwise, Enjoy yourself, and, and they, they, most folks are here to have a good time. We keep, keep it safe. Now, when we come downtown that, that evening when the game's over, uh, sometimes those arrests can spike a little bit depending on, on the energy level, too. Um, I personally come down in the evenings on game night and just kind of walk around and monitor things. Um, and, you know, it's not the visitors. Everybody, Wisconsin, some bad fans. No, it was kind of our fans that night when Wisconsin was here. We were being a little bit too rude, and I say we, mostly the students. So we, you know... We kind of pointed that out the next day that, you know, these games, they're guests at our, at our house here. We should treat them as guests. And uh, sometimes, you know, that energy is so high and, and that rivalry is so strong that it's not necessarily well behaved. But by and large, it's a very good experience. We have extra patrols on, not just at the games. We have over 100 officers that work the games. Um, and then we have beefed up patrol also, increased patrol in the, in the downtown area after the game. So we're ready to respond, and we run a, a pretty good visibility and omnipresence, if you will, to run as a deterrence for trouble. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? 
Hi, I'm Jeff Falk. Lived in Iowa City, I guess it's about four years now. Uh, <clears throat> this is a little bit off the track, but you might be familiar that at the recent school board meeting, there was a uh, proposal submitted by the school safety committee uh, and its top proposal was to have a school resource officer in the high schools, I believe it was. Uh, needless to say, one has no idea whether any of this will be taken up by the school board eventually or it'll just wind up in a circular filing cabinet someplace. But I'm just curious because I could see that if such a proposal was enacted and a uniformed officer was in schools, uh, that the review board might have some more work to do uh, eventually in terms of complaints and whatnot. Uh, so I'm, <clears throat> there are two things I'm curious about. One thing is I think it came up that such a position would not cost the school anything because it would be paid for by the police department. I don't know whether that's true or not, so I'd like to know whether that's true. The other is that uh, although uh, uh, the, uh, the Iowa City Police Force has done a lot of training about community relations and relations with juveniles, I'm just curious whether off the top of your head, I realize you haven't had any chance to think of this, do you think officers in the school would need additional kind of training? Uh, for example, if somebody came up with, well, we'd like officers in the school, but we don't want them armed. Is that something that you would go along with? I'm just trying to anticipate things, sort of. Thanks. Okay. Um, and, and thanks for bringing that up. I mean, it's, it's been out there. To, the discussion's been made. I, I will tell you, these discussions have taken place long before it was brought to the school board. We always talk about our presence in the schools. And as a matter of fact, I have another stat for you. Um, but in 2017, we did 81 visits to the schools. In 2018, we did 223 visits to the schools um, for presentations and programs and things. That's not getting called there. That's putting that extra effort in to connect with our kids. So when I mentioned the juvenile stats earlier and I said it's difficult to connect with kids, well, one of the reasons is because we'd love to be in the schools more often than what we are because that's where the kids are. It's where our youth are. And so uh, connecting with them for us to build the relationships with the police to, to have that, that sense of trust with them and know that they, they can turn to us if they need us is so, so important. Now, the other side of that coin is, and, and you talked about it, is, you know, would there be an increase in CPRB uh, complaints? Would there be an increase in juvenile arrests, the school-to-prison pipeline, as they call it? Um, you know, you've seen where our stats lie. We're doing everything we can to reduce that. My opinion is, if we were in the schools, that we would continue that trend. We wouldn't look to go into schools and be number one discipline, disciplinarians. That's not our job. And I've had, I've worked at agencies where there are SROs, and the very contract itself says we will not be dis disciplinarians. Just not our job. Teachers don't want us to do it. Administrators don't want us to do it. And we don't want to do it. We're police officers. 
But what we do want to be able to do is, is be part of the, the long-term strategic solution to some of the problems in the schools. So less on the patrol the hallways and, hey, you're late for class, you know, you're in trouble, and more on the, the softer end of it, the strategic end of, end of it, to build that trust, number one, but also get into a, a, and we're already starting this process, a threat assessment mode where when a child's in need, when somebody's having problems, maybe their parents got arrested the night in the <laughs> domestic, or maybe the police were called to the house for, for whatever reason, maybe the child it's himself or herself is having problems, maybe they're being bullied, to be involved in those processes early on and get a handle on it before it implodes. You know, we don't ever want to see that happen. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with, with a softer approach, kind of dressed like I am, you know, and, and not a uniform, uh, not patrolling the hallways, but be more of an assistance, be, be a, a sense of guidance for them, be a sense of expertise for the schools. Now, I say all that to say this. I want the schools, the, the school board, the school administrators, the, the faculty, the staff, and, and the parents and the community at large to decide what's appropriate for our schools. We work well with them. You can see our numbers are going up. Um, we, we put on all kinds of training for the schools. We connect with them often. I've gone to the school board meeting and introduced myself and said, if there's anything you ever need, let me know. Um, you know, they have us on speed dial when something goes on. And so that relationship's strong. Um, we walk slowly in that area because just going into schools and not having a plan and not doing things right and try to make sure that we're attentive to the national stats that black females in schools are being suspended at a higher rate than they should be. Many minority uh, use people of color being arrested more in schools than they should be. Uh, that stat is crystal clear and if we don't pay attention to that, then we've stepped backwards. And so we would never want that to happen. So the solution is to go in slowly, be very strategic, make sure the rules of engagement, if you will, the, the, our role is crystal clear to everybody. And at the end of the day, she and I and Captain Campbell decide what is success and what's not in that role. And we've been at this a long time. Uh, I'm confident that we could have success in the schools, but I also wanna be sure that everybody else is confident in that as well and says, you're on the right track. So the discussions continue. Nothing changes for us at this point. When a school needs us, we're there. When they want help with training or need help with a, a troubled student, we're there. And so nothing changes. Now, another question they had was cost. That's, that's all relative. I got bosses here tonight with city council and mayor. And, um, you know, it's a lot, everything we do is budget driven. And so we work within those guidelines. Everything the school does is budget driven. And so whatever we decide, it has to be within our budgets and what can we afford. Um, but I've seen some creative things out there. There's some grants out there. Uh, so, you know, different things, different, different, you know, funds could be put into place. Uh, just depends on where our priorities are and how we want to handle that. So the cost is not necessarily the police or necessarily the school. It could be one or the other, a combination of both or through the grants uh, th that are obtainable. Um, and additional training. The answer is yes, yes, and yes. We would need to make sure that the officers are well trained in dealing with youth and the alternatives uh, to arrests that are that are out there. Um, the DHS system, um, and our officers are really good. We have some that are, that are absolute experts in that area now, 
but we wouldn't just put anybody in the schools. I've got officers that are really good at what they do. School wouldn't be one of them. I've got some that, that are better in this area, be it traffic or, or investigation. So we all have our little pieces of expertise that we like. Um, the right officer would have to be put in that position and trained to a level that is acceptable to us and acceptable to the, to the school system itself. So good questions. Anyone else? We have a motion for adjournment. Second. Who moved it? Selmer. Selmer moved. Second to buy. I uh, thought you moved it in. Selmer second. Selmer moved. No, I I'll second. I'll second. Second by Townsend. All in favor say aye. 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 This meeting is adjourned. Aye.